Hello, I'm Jeff Lister, and welcome to Wait, What? The comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's part one of episode 21. In it, Graham McMillan and I discuss topics vitally important to our Wait, What? listeners, such as how the hell our numbering sequence works, and Graham's cleanse, and the holidays, and basements. But then, at more or less the 22-minute, 30-second mark, we're off to the races with an in-depth discussion for one of our picks for News Story of the Year. It's almost an hour, 15 minutes total of chocolate comic-y goodness with a creamy nougat center. Perfect for holiday consumption. We hope you enjoy. Happy holidays. And thanks for listening. Jeffrey Lester. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you what's just happened. Please. So I'm, you know, rushing to get everything I need to get done done before I start talking to you. And I get it done, and I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm like, hey, it's having a podcast with Jeff, and I put on my headphones, and in putting on my headphones, I accidentally at one point let go on one of one side of my headphones as I'm stretching them out to put them on my head, and whack myself in the face with them. <laughs> <laughs> it goes straight in my eye, which is now more than a little painful. Um, and I tell this to my wife, and do you know what she says? She says, That'll be a funny thing to tell Jeff to start the podcast with. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kate McMillan, the professional. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, well done. And I, I love, I love that was her response. <laughs> That's very, very impressive. I, I was like, all like, oh my God, do you need a few extra minutes? Jesus, you know. Oh. <laughs> But also, I think my head was actually might might be about to give me a black eye because I really want. <laughs> Dude, if you get a black eye from this, that would be kind of brilliant. You have to admit. Uh, well, first of all, I bruise easily, uh, and secondly, <laughs> I really was like I, there was a surprising amount of force. I didn't realize my headphones were so springy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. I'm like Jesus, mine are like barely cobbled together they they break in half like a thanksgiving wishbone or something oh my god that i love the idea of having like a black eye through christmas and people like what happened did i be like podcasting (laughs) (laughs) oh boy uh that is just the best sir hey Uh, hi how you doing good good how about yourself I, far from what I just said, I'm doing fine. <laughs> okay, well, so yes, it, the thing that's hilarious is, of course, thanks to um, doing so much podcast editing over the last two days, I'm like, I feel like we just talked yesterday. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, to be fair, we did email for some time yesterday. Well, that is true. That is true, which is uh, always pleasant. So, uh, yes, and of course, I'm like, we should jump right in on it but you know we, we in theory, really sh- should we jump right in on it because last time we jumped right in on it for all we know when we put those episodes up people might be like where's the 10 minutes of the two of you just talking shit ahead of time <laughs> it, it is true it is it is a little rough we don't have any of the uh, spousal gimmies of the I, uh, I have to say the um the podcast that just went up the other day with me talking about the cleanse, I felt incredibly embarrassed about that when it was up. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I spent 15 minutes talking about the cleanse. Well, you know, to be fair, we, we both talked about it. There was, there, it was, there was a little more um, 
Uh, I'm trying not to make a flow-related joke there, but... Uh, oh, big thumb flow, come on. <laughs> but uh, speaking of which, you're you're done in a few days, is that right? Yeah, it's, uh, done on uh, Sunday. Wow, fantastic. Just in time for Christmas. Exactly, and I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to being done on Sunday. <laughs> it's funny thing is, it's not actually been that bad in the end. Like, it's not. It's been much, much easier than I expected. It, right. I, I can't explain how much easier it's been. Right. But uh, I'm now at the point where, you know, I'm so close to the end mm-hmm. that it's just like, ooh, I might be able to have, like, you know, bread soon. <laughs> it's kind of great. After doing it for so long, your, like, desires really sort of downgrade significantly, don't they? It's like, wow, if I could just have some, like, vegetable broth, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, maybe because you guys are getting your one meal in, but... uh I just remember, like, at the end of my very first cleanse, it was, like, day eight or day nine, and I remember walking by a restaurant that was cooking bacon, and I just stood outside and smelled it, and the scariest part was it was almost like a complete meal in of itself. In in a smell, yeah. Yeah, I just, I didn't really need anything more than just that. It was... uh, it was kind of it was kind of sobering, and so um, that that was kind of awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't exactly know if um, if you guys. I'll be really curious to see how how you guys end up feeling the the first week or so after it, because the the first couple of times Edie and I did it, it really was sort of surprisingly pleasant to be like, you know, I think I actually do want fresh vegetables, and you know. well, that that's the strange thing. I I'm finding myself thinking. Like, oh, I can have anything I want afterwards, hooray. But also thinking, eh, maybe I might want to stick with, you know, more fresh vegetables, you know, more fruits, mm-hmm. a sort of lighter uh, diet. Mm-hmm. Not even just, you know, for a bit, but like, you know, in general, maybe I should be eating more of this. In part because the cooking of it, I think, has been not as difficult as I'd been expecting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like Kay and I are actually actively preparing foods as opposed to, you know, eating out or mm-hmm. buying things that other people have prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, oven-ready stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when that process gets demystified, or not demystified, but just like when, it, when you realize that it's not as much of a time suck as you thought it would be to mm-hmm. do that every day, then you're kind of like, oh, we should probably be doing more of this anyway. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It really is kind of amazing. You find yourself making those choices, and it's pretty awesome. So, um... so I mean, we'll see what happens. The other thing is, of course, um, I think I said this to you last time I talked to you. Kay and I have also been watching a lot of like it's Christmas. Here's food preparation shows from the UK because Kate really likes Jamie Oliver and Nigella Lawson, and there's for some reason been lots of Christmas special episodes from those guys on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all been like, you know, the best to roast to roast potatoes ever. And then you could have this for dessert, da, 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 and we can't have it. And we're both at the, well, in the week between finishing Clowns of Christmas, we should have all of this shit. <laughs> um, so, we, we, you know, there's also the possibility that we'll go mad and like that week and then want to go back on Clowns afterwards because we'll be like, oh, God, far too much. Oh, no. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I'll be really curious because it, it's uh, it's always it's always remarkable how how fast that stuff changes around on you. And the rest of the holiday sort of coming together, okay? 
Like it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, Jeff. <laughs> really? On on every street corner you hear, I don't everywhere know. you go. <laughs> I'm I'm sure it is. I can't have just been marking. I mean, can't be marking a ridiculous number of hours every day recently, and um. And this weekend, of course, was the weekend of the basement flooding again. So I'm sure it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas for everyone. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like I live in the basement for five days and I work a lot. So what happened with the basement? I had no uh, idea. So, so it's very funny. So the basement flooded on the second anniversary of us moving into the house. Wow. Which I looked at as a surreal gift from the fates to... <laughs> You know, reminds us of the first month that we had in this house when our basement flooded. Yes. Um, what happened was we had some terrible rain here for a few days. Um, and when our basement floods, it doesn't flood because, like, you know, it's a torrential downpour and the torrential downpour just pours in the door. It floods because the water seeps into the ground and then the water table in the ground around us rises. Right. And so it actually comes through the floor. Right. It comes through the basement. Um, and so we had torrential rain and it came through and it was one of those things where it didn't really seem like a big deal Thursday evening, like it, it began to come through and we're like, oh, we'll just put the sub pump down. It'll be fine. Um, and it just kept coming through until Sunday. So Thursday afternoon and evening, uh, all of Friday with the exception of, like, an hour for Laura Hudson's birthday party. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. Like, we went, and then we had to leave, like, an hour into it. Aww. And it was like, you know... Because, like, we didn't... It was like, you know... Yeah, chances are our basement is a disaster. Uh, we should probably go. Um, all of Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not really... I mean, a little bit of Sunday, but by Sunday it was really getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lived in the basement... I mean, I moved everything down there so that I could basically keep moving stuff up around because there's four distinct areas of flooding. So it was like, drain it in one area, move it to the next area, drain it in that area, move it to the next area, drain it in that, and just doing that as a, as a cycle. Wow. And so, and so, like, the worst part of it was Thursday night into Friday, like, Kate was getting up in the middle of the night to move the stuff on because it was coming in so much. Wow. After that, like, we got timers and we got an automatic one that sensed water because otherwise we would have been up every night. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's impressively kind of crazy making. So are you guys, is that, and is that your basic permanent solution, I suppose? That's, from... yeah. I mean, what it really is is we have to get the base, we have to get the foundation redone for the house anyway. And when we get that done, we're just going to put a lot more cement down. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, and so that if it comes up, it comes up around the house and not in the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oof. <sighs> Amazing. So yeah, fun of joys of home ownership. Yeah, I was about to say, we definitely don't have that sort of worry. Or, I mean, to the extent that we do, we don't actually have to worry about the next stage of it. So, um, Which is just as well, because <clears throat> whenever we tell something about the landlord, the landlord's actually pretty great, but better than 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 our previous landlord but um still has a tendency to like come up with perhaps naturally like the cheaper fix than we would prefer like it's like really can't you just spend the extra money to like you know get this fixed properly 
And I'm sure they're no, like, no, 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 no. Exactly. They're like, what? what? Why? We don't live here, you know. Yes. Why would we do that? <laughs> exactly. This is a perfectly good stopgap solution. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's always, always interesting and always, uh, always exasperating. Well, what about you, sir? How's your seasonal period going? The holiday thing, it seems, you know, we need to get a little Christmas tree in here or something because I don't think it's really sinking in that it is, you know, just a week and a half away for us, really. For it, it, no, it feels really weird like that for us as well. I mean, we, we decorated. We actually decorated fairly early this year because last year we didn't decorate until really late. Like, I think <laughs> it was less than a week before when we finally got around to decorating. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither of us were feeling it was going to be Christmas anytime soon at all last year. So this year we are like, fuck it. We're decorating. We're getting it done. But then, like, just other stuff takes over, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, you know, it's it's really not that far away. We should probably take care of that." Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, again, we we're probably extra lucky because we spent that month in New York. So, coming back from it in November, everything seems to be moving super, super quickly, and we're thinking maybe part of that is because we you know, spend a month away, but from everyone else that I've talked to, it's just, everyone's really busy, the days are really short, and they just seem to be kind of flying by for everyone, so. um, It's not just you. There you go. Yeah, there we go. That's kind of the way that I feel, which is kind of a relief, uh, because otherwise I start to feel uh, super panicky. Like the Grinch. Yeah, well, a little bit. I mean, I I, I sort of, I I tend to... I'm I'm not super super into the holidays. Um, being, what? <laughs> I, I, see, I knew saying that to you. That's why I thought it'd be actually it's kind of great because you are such the the holiday guy, um, and, and I tend to be a little more Grinchy by nature. But but being with Edie over the last couple of years, I, I think sort of um, changed it you. for me. Yeah, I've been I've been significantly degrinched. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I'm like one of the Grinches that like goes to the vet and comes back and is a lot more uh, lazy and mellow and tends to nap a lot more than he used to. <laughs> now you're just a grunch. <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to dig into this right, year-end let's, review let's thing? Let's dig in. Also, before we dig in, I have to say, did you see Michael Ronson's comment uh, on Savage Critic about the latest podcast? <laughs> Yes, I did. I love that. That yeah. that makes me immeasurably happy. If only because it really does just make me wonder why it's like why do we do the ninety point one ninety point two? It's just because we that's when we record it, right? Yeah, I mean that. I I know it's that kind of thing of like, huh? To me, it sort of makes a certain amount of sense because it's you know the episodes uh, are that you know, for what we record that week. But when we do break it into parts, because I think there are times where in an in, in a installment two, we can talk about things that just happened but aren't in the podcast. And I feel like that makes it easier for people to go, oh, okay, it's in, it's in installment one, it's in installment two, you know. So, because I feel like there's a little bit of a continuity there. I, I think it would be stranger for people to kind of have that sense of someone saying at the end okay well i'll talk to you in five minutes and it's like what does that what yeah exactly like and then the next one's just numbered completely differently so although it uh, did make me realize this one we're recording is podcast 21 
Yes, it is. We are legal. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We are absolutely. We should have gotten ourselves some uh, champagne and a little stretch limo. Uh, and um, I, I could have Skyped you from like uh, rolling up and down from one bar to the next in uh, San Francisco's Marina that District. Would have been <laughs> Oh, God, missed opportunity right there. <laughs> uh, yes, and we are right at the threshold of uh, we're at episode 49 on iTunes when you break down. Yeah, the, the, yeah the, next one, the next one that goes up is the, is the 50th episode. Yeah, so episode 50 is podcast number 20. So, you know. It's it's a wacky way to do it, but I, I really God bless him. I doubt Michael's really losing a lot of sleep over the whole situation. So, I uh, uh, the the fact that we're taking the time to explain it, I think it's worthwhile. By all means, if anyone thinks um, that you know the 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 numbering is absolutely confusing, uh, fair enough. Please let us know. Um, and, and you know, I thought it was, I actually thought it was great that he was the brevity is the soul of wit line was I was like ah. Oh. Ugh. I, he's such an elegant troll. You know what I mean? It's no, but really... the thing is, like, that's what you have to remember. Michael actually likes reading the reviews. He just doesn't like listening to the podcasts. Yes, so, so no matter what we do, mm-hmm. it, it, the podcasts are unlikely to make him happy. Mm-hmm. I thought that I thought that was a very funny thing for him to say, to be honest. Yeah, I thought so too. No, that's the thing. I thought at, at each stage of it, it was kind of like, ah. I, I almost felt like he wanted to say something because we, we didn't even have that many comments up. I'm like, oh, how nice. He upped our little comment quota. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, yes, I did see that. If you if you think we should change it around, by all means, let me know, both you, Graham, and you listeners. I, well, I I don't really care, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I, think, I think it makes sense. Like, it was just, it's... I know that I had to explain to someone else that there was no real continuity between the podcasts in terms of, like, they can listen to, you know, 19.2 without listening to 19.1 first. Right. But ultimately, I'm fine with it as is. Because it helps me remember what we were, like, when we recorded it. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that kind of so helps it, it works. it works well for me. Okay. Well, then and that's we what it's all about. <laughs> it is. It's all about Graham, which is uh, perhaps... Perhaps we'll change the uh, the next uh, episode. We can I think we should just the change the name. Yeah, change the name of the podcast. Yeah, so wait, wait, what? Wait, the year of wait, what is done? As we head into 2011, then uh, from now on, it's going to be called It's All About Graham. It's All About Graham. Yeah, that was great. I can, like, get different Blur songs to, like, introduce the, the podcast with or something. I know you love your Nine Inch Nails, though. I wouldn't take your Nine Inch Nails away from you. <laughs> You know, I tried listening to try and, well, because I was listening for, you know, dogs doing jingle bells. And I'm like, it's hard for me to find, I mean, part of it is I really don't want to take the time to, like, grab another song and, you know, edit it down to the perfect 30, 45 seconds or so to introduce it. But it just, for me, it, of course, works really well because I don't have to, like, I've got those intros and outros edited. I sort of think of it like it's our theme music. In fact, to the point where I was driving in the car the other day and listening to that ambient album uh, on an old C- uh, CD I had burned, and the the song came on, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, it's our like I really had that." You know, when you're... <laughs> it's, wait, is this our podcast? Yeah, exactly. I was wait, I was shocked when I didn't begin talking to myself in the car. It was well, uh... it's, it's well, you could have, that would have been great if 
it was like a trigger, like a hypnotic trigger. And so, <laughs> as you just hear the song, you're like, hi, it's Wade Blythe, the official podcast. <laughs> probably, probably. I'll have to ask Edie to like play it in, it's, while I'm sleeping next time and see what happens if I just start, you know, mumbling some introduction. I probably will. So the last thing I want to do before we do start the podcast, which I swear to God, everyone, we will start. After me being like, hey, we should talk shit for 10 minutes. <laughs> it's now 20 minutes into it. Um, anyway, <laughs> Dean Tripp and Gar Berner, and I know I know his real name because I'm following him on Twitter. Um, yes. Thank you very much for your, your iTunes reviews. Uh, yes. Especially Dean Tripp, who has been the nicest man in the world to us. Um <laughs> on Twitter and here. And he also sent me a Facebook message saying about how much he liked the podcast as well. Uh, and so, yes, thank you very much. And also, it's I feel kind of honored because I really like Dean Tripp. <laughs> yeah, Dean Tripp's stuff is, is pretty awesome. I, I was sort of poking around on his Flickr page and I'm like, oh, he's really good. Uh, and... Um, and Garrett Berner is the name of the other man. Yes, exactly. I also want to give a, a special uh, thumbs up to... Um, Dean, because Dean gave us that review before the podcast installment where I started, you know, openly begging people to leave uh, a review for us on iTunes. So it's I, it was one of those things when I put up the episode, I, I really felt like I should have said like, oh, and by the way, Dean, thank you. But, you know, so hopefully this will cover it for him now. It's like, listeners, we appreciate you. And uh, especially both of those fine fellows, Garrett Berner and Dean Tripp, you are awesome. And if you feel like giving us awesome reviews on iTunes, you could be our next awesome listener. Exactly. It could be a new thing. Yeah, we should. Yeah, like do that thing. This week's awesome listener. (laughs) Is Michael Aronson. (laughs) Hey, he listens and he comments. I'm going to defend Michael right now. Mm. I I was we already gave him like lots of love earlier. I was uh wait, he doesn't listen though, does he? I I think he does listen. I don't think so. I think he might not admit it, but I think he, Michael, I think <laughs> <laughs> Graham, are you there? I'm here, yeah. Oh, okay, cuz you suddenly <laughs> did you, stopped. Did you think I dropped out? I, I did. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like you would stop you were like saying some very positive pleasant things. Uh, no, 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 that that was it. Michael, oh, you're, not, you're not getting that much. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want people to think that I'd suddenly like hit the mute. That would be awesome. I'd be like, Michael, you. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Jeff, Jeff, let's start this uh, short for all of you listeners who complain about us. Short because Jeff has a lunch date. Um, Podcasts, year-end podcasts, 2010 roundup. It's been a crazy year, Jeff. Yes, it has, Graham. It's it's been a for comics alone. It's been mind-bending. Who would have thought that this would be the year when Superman versus Muhammad Ali would be reprinted in hardcover? It's true. I had no idea that that was coming, and it has been a total delight. Exactly, or that it ever would happen. I mean, let's yeah. face it, who really was like... I mean, I, I know that DC likes reprinting books in, in beautiful formats, because I have the absolute all-star Superman, which is absolutely gorgeous. But really, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, really? 
I mean, yeah. it's one of those, I can't believe people were really demanding that things, but I'm so glad they did it. Me too. I was really thrilled to see it again. That was, that was one that uh, I had managed to pick up for myself a few years back, uh, and I was super, super grateful for, to have. Um, but the fact that it is actually easier to get is kind of wonderful. Like that and Kirby's Captain America Bicentennial Battles were like two just sort of like crazy, awesome, oddball treasury editions from the 70s that I just never assumed we would see again. And the fact that you can get one, and not only not only get Superman versus Muhammad Ali, but get it in the oversized facsimile edition yeah. is really pretty classy. Uh, uh- and has the, has the big Kirby uh, hardcover from Marvel come out yet? I, I, I remember seeing it's listed, but I don't remember when. Um, you know the one I'm talking about, right? All, you're talking about all, the Kirby Omnibus or whatever? Yes, yeah, yeah. Kirby Omnibus, which is all of his 70s stuff in cap. Like, all of it in yeah. one book. Yeah, I don't think it's come out, because I think I think I I, um, I pulled the trigger and committed to, to buying that. I think I put it in an order with Hibbs. So I don't think that's out. I think that would be great, but don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you can get Bicentennial Battles, you just cannot get it from Marvel in the full format. So um, they're very, they're big fans of their, their Essential Editions and their Omnibuy, uh, but they also don't really, I don't feel like they go too far outside of the, the envelope, I think, for doing their stuff. You say that, and guess what I saw in the Portland Library yesterday? <laughs> No, I, I, I didn't even know this existed, and this really surprised me. Hardcover editions of individual issues of Runaways. What? Yeah. Wait. Mm-hmm. Really? The first six issues as hardcover editions, as issues, not in a collection. Wow. Well, I, I do have to say that uh, as far as I can tell, and, and this is something that I think Marvel has really tipped to, and I'm not sure if DC has nearly as much, is if you if you put a hardcover edition out, your chances of selling to a library I think are somewhat higher because I, I think I told you. Oh, that. I, I I think I think DC is getting there. DC to me seems to be doing a lot more hardcovers these days. Yeah, but I mean they're still like about a year year and a half behind the curve on this. You know, uh, Marvel yeah. seems very canny about slapping that stuff into hardcover, and then because I, I think I told you, I mean you know what. The San Francisco Public Library is definitely impoverished compared to the Portland Library as far as our selection goes. Some of the stuff that we we have only seems to make sense to me because it, as it was purchased because it was a um, a hardcover, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, a hardcover, and usually that it's like Marvel again Marvel's weirdo system of automatically renumbering stuff. Maybe that also appeals to librarians too, because I'm still trying to wrap my brain around why Wolverine, that Wolverine Weapon X arc, is there. Apart from the fact of a, it's a hardcover, and b, the person reading about it in the library ordering is like, oh, this is Wolverine Weapon X number one through number six. This is a starting point of some kind, you know? Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I think that, um, like I said, I think DC is is catching on slowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I I don't know if I don't know if either Marvel or DC are doing it for library audiences necessarily, mm-hmm. but also I think DC is I love DC collections in general. I think they're normally wonderfully designed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hardcovers especially are just gorgeous. I think their choice of material to reprint is wonderful. 
But sometimes they just go so completely off the rails, I kind of want to just, you know, fly to New York, go into their offices and shake them. For example, the decision to publish Batman 701 and 702 not in the Return of Bruce Wayne collection. What? It really, I mean, no. It's, it has to go in there. Literally, there's stuff in those issues that only pays off in Return of Bruce Wayne. Frankly, if I had not read those two issues, I I would not have appreciated. I mean, and I'm not Mr. like Mr. Kissy Face with the whole Return of Bruce Wayne, Batman and Robin Boy Wonder arc anyway, but it would be far closer to meaningless without Batman 701 and 702. I thought yeah. those issues were pretty goddamn they they were I enjoyed them on their own and the level of payoffs that they end up setting up for both arcs they they are kind of essential to the storyline that makes yeah, sense. Oh, they're, they're getting collected mm-hmm. but they're getting collected with Batman 700 and Batman 703 right which, which, which I... just strikes me as a massive mistake because they're not those three those four comics rather don't form a brilliant storyline first of all which right. always bugs me in collections uh, but also, 703 is an after-the-fact villain mm-hmm. by Fabian, last name I can't pronounce, and Cliff Richards, <laughs> um, which really belongs with the Batman Road Home stories, like mm-hmm. all one shots. It should go in a collection with those. Uh, and 701 and 702 are part of Return of Bruce Wayne. They are. I'm sorry yeah. that he didn't come out in that series, but they're part of that story. Agreed. Well, and 700 is a weird... I don't know what you would call it. Like, uh, it's almost like a coda, you know, in that it it also holds, it's his way to do a Batman annual, but it also holds the keys to a lot of stuff. I mean, the, the, the Professor Nichols gets referenced in the return of Bruce Wayne. Um, the various, I think that the, the concept that, that Bruce Wayne himself comes to about Batman Incorporated is very much reflected. The the idea of Batman as idea that sort of transcends time in those last, what, eight pages or so is actually yeah. kind of brilliant. Um, as So I think, I think that it really, it's, I would put that in there as well. Like 700, 701, 702, I could almost see the thinking of putting some other issue in there and doing it as its own thing because there's such strange odds and ends, but you would need something better. You would need a, you would need an actual Morrison Batman story that also touches on these things that, that wasn't being collected somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a horrific, I've, I've completely let us down like a, a side route already, but it, it just, it's a horrible, horrible decision. That as soon as I learned about it, I was like, no, what? No. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. We, we were, yeah, we were totally going to talk, going to talk about the, the year, year, year roundup and everything. And, uh, so you, you do that while I try and regain my composure and <laughs> Okay, well, as I think I put forward to you, I I thought it would be great if we had two um, news stories that we thought were super, super important for uh, the year that we could maybe talk about. Um, And and I have... God, I'm so scatterbrained. I definitely 
have one in mind. I'm trying to think. I I even told you my two yesterday. I know, I know, but you told me to go first, so I'm like, (laughs) let me see if I can. Because of course, I was like, I should totally jot down those two damn story ideas and the issues that I want to pick and blah blah blah. I will say that. what, oh yeah, okay, I remember them. The first big story, uh, and perhaps biggest story uh, for 2010 in comics news, is the way that DC and Marvel handled the complaints about their comics being priced too high, uh, and what they decided to do about it. Because it's kind of a huge... You know, you have to go back to, I think, the 70s when they both came up with different ways to, like, they tried moving their books to a quarter, I think, or something, and DC tried packing their their, their books with more reprint material to justify the price increase, and I don't remember what the hell Marvel did. Maybe Marvel held off for longer and then switched I, I want to say that Marvel definitely did longer stories for a while. Yeah. And it, this is purely based on... Um, the essentials that I've read from that era, but I want to say that Marvel upped their page count and then lowered their page count significantly when they dropped price again. That that could be it. That I want to say they upped their page count to somewhere around 25, 26 pages, and then they lowered them to about 18 pages. Yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense to me. So, um, and it's a shame, because the, the thing is, is I definitely jumped in when books were 25 cents. So I don't I don't know the... I wasn't paying as much attention to that sort of pre-Jeff history period. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's fascinating seeing how DC and Marvel are handling their changes and the fact that they responded to the direct market. I mean, back then it wasn't a direct market change. It was, there was no direct market. So Mm -hmm. seeing this happen now is, I think sort of the story of the year. Um, Well, well, here's my question. Yes. Do you think both companies really uh, respond to the direct market, or do you think, as I do, Marvel responded to DC responding to the direct market? It's a good question, because uh, I think that DC, I mean, Marvel it's insisted that they were just saying their own thing, um, but it's hard to believe considering what they said at the time is so different from what came out like baldly, yeah, the, baldly the, the, different. Com- the complete confusion around what they actually said that lasted weeks really yeah yeah exactly. i mean complete weeks and the completely contradictory natures of what they said at yes. any given time yeah. followed by well that's not what we meant or, or even better that's not what we said if you just paid attention to what we said or oh, you must have misread it <laughs> Which was my favorite. Like, we never said that. It's like, it's right here. It's right here. They're like, no, you know, I'm really sorry you misread that. Which is kind of what they did. They did that wonderfully. Like, I'm yeah. really sorry that you misread that. Yeah, it, I'm really, yeah. just coming out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Now, the thing that's kind of interesting to me to me is, is that um, generally I'm a bigger fan of DC's decision to roll prices back to two ninety nine. What I'm fascinated by is the fact that not so much that they downplayed the fact that they were taking two pages out of the stories um, to us, but I was reading um, I was reading Jason Aaron's column yes. at Comic Book Resources, and I'm fascinated that he says, and I of course have no reason to doubt him, that they did not tell him, or as far as we can tell, any of the other freelancers that they were rolling two pages back and that they were getting essentially a pay cut. 
Yes, I was really surprised about it. I, actually, I'm not sure if surprise is the right word. Mm-hmm. I was kind of appalled. Yes. <laughs> yes, but not exactly surprised. Sort of the same way I was appalled when Marvel uh, equivocated on what they had actually said and tried to you know, blame people for misreading it. Uh, I was also kind of not surprised, but appalled. But DC is also like... I remember that you had mentioned that there's a, a new uh, talent position. Yes, yes. There's one, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, huh, I wonder how much that came out of this. Complaints from that, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's, it's really strange because I don't know if you remember at the time you actually had creators saying things like, you know, yes, I know I'm losing two pages, but more people are probably likely to mind my book, so it's a trade-off that I'm done with. But mm-hmm. no one, I feel like no one actually came out and said... I think this is a great move. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel, I feel like everyone. I can. I agree. Guess the reason I'm saying I'm not surprised when I read Jason Aaron's thing was nothing any creator had said in the wake of the announcement had made me think that they were consulted ahead of time, right? Or really on board with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounded like something they were like they were at best told was going to happen. Yeah, I, I I'm not even sure that there was that again because Aaron was kind of like I I think he says he found out. Oh yeah, he, he said like I found out when I read the press release or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Now assuming that that's the case for most of the people whose names you know aren't uh, also you know in the executive slot at DC, I'm pretty sure it wasn't like Jeff Johns reading the press release going, "Hey, wait a minute, what?" You know? Yes, exactly. Well, the the other thing is. The way it was initially announced, unless I'm horrifically misreading, not all books were losing two pages. That's that's correct. I think that's right. Which also made me wonder whether Jason Aaron is actually losing two pages. <laughs> because the way it was initially announced, he shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. $2.99 anyway, therefore should not have been affected page count-wise. Right, right. So I don't know if this is confusion or... What's going to happen is not what was initially announced, mm-hmm. or what? That's the that's the other thing about the Jason Aaron thing is that is a, a question mark for me. Oh, that's a that's a really good point. And again, who knows? Maybe part of the reason why they're putting in a, a you know talent coordinator who who mentioned you know if you have questions about your page rate or page count or whatever. I, I mean, I, that's the thing is this is a horrible black eye for DC no matter what. Because they either look like they're not talking to the creators, or even if Jason Aaron misunderstood, it's really unlikely he's going to go out and say, "Oh, I'm wrong. I'm not losing two pages." Right. right. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the the idea that DC have done this is as important as whether DC have actually done it or not. Agreed. Agreed. And, and so that that's when it just becomes a no win situation for DC. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I think that that's going to be a fascinating. Um, that could have some really interesting repercussions rolling into 2011, I think. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think the two of them and the price structure changes, uh, and especially DC's handling and mishandling of the of the repricing of books. I think that that's going to be that is like the big story, one of the big stories of the year. So, what do you think about Marvel's side? Uh, of of Marvel's side of it, yeah. Uh, I would see that's where I have a lot more difficulty because to me, I feel that they're not. 
that's just wiggle room and equivocating. If you come out with a press release that's so badly titled as I want my two ninety nine Yeah, exactly. You know, I actually completely forgot about that press release until you just mentioned it. Yeah, exactly. Well again, it's the miracle of me editing us recently is you exactly. actually read that. I, I read it to you last week, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, wow, they do they mean because it sounds like Marvel's saying that they want R two ninety nine, which is technically well, which correct. Is, yes. You know what I mean? But when you say I want my two ninety nine it's I want my two ninety nine books. Anyway, it it's I, I just think that it's a big old cock up. I don't think that Marvel really has uh, what's fascinating to me is that Marvel seems to have some bizarro interest in continuing to compete with DC, despite the fact that they seem ahead in every level and in every way, no matter what they do, you know, otherwise, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think, I don't, I don't think that there's really any way that they can lose. And yet they're still kind of obsessed with the idea of outdoing DC and DC's yeah, it's, announcements. It's a really, it's a really strange thing, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I feel like the idea of the Marvel DC rivalry mm-hmm. is more important to Marvel mm-hmm than the reality that Marvel it has consistently outpaced them in terms of sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of success in general. Yeah. Like, I, it's weird. It feels like if DC completely crashed and burned, Marvel would be at a loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so there's this weird... And, and to me, it strikes a little bit of Orwell's 1984. That, that Marvel needs... An to enemy. always be at war. Exactly. It needs an enemy. And it needs to be DC. It can't t- suddenly turn around and start picking fights with Dark Horse or, you know what I mean? It has to be DC. They have to always be at war with them. And there has to be, you know, ways in which they continue to trump them at every stage. Or in, in a way in which it's also seen as an imperative to do so. And I, it makes no sense to me. You know, I, I really think that there's ways that Marvel handles itself that have potentially terrible repercussions on the direct marketplace all the time. And as far as I can tell, that's not enough for uh, fans or retailers, for the most part, to choose to um, act against that or counterbalance it or act in their own long-term interests as opposed to their short-term interests. Like, none of that really happens. So as far as I can tell, like, Marvel wins. Marvel just is at the top of the little hegemonic pyramid. Well, Marvel always wins. Exactly. Uh, but the weird thing is, Marvel always wins for everyone apart from Marvel. Because Marvel right. consistently portrays itself as the underdog still, yeah. while also boasting that they're the leader. Yeah. Like, they have this wonderful thing that they have. They see no cognitive dissonance right. in talking about like how their books sell the best mm-hmm. and then still somehow managing to portray themselves as an underdog. Yeah. And that they are not in control of the market, their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, yeah. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, but I like it's it's kind of wonderful. <laughs> As, you know, I mean like there is something incredible about the fact that they not only do it, but mm-hmm. seem so dedicated with it and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and get away no, with it. No one successfully calls Marvel on their shit. Because you can't. Yeah, you can't. And that's the thing that sort of, I think because of where I'm sitting 
in terms of my frustration with the current state of government and politics and media and everything, it's very hard for me to like look at Marvel doing that and go, yeah, that's wonderful. You know, like I, I, I know what you mean. And, and it literally does inspire wonder. But uh, but at the same time, I yeah, it's very it's it's something that just makes me shake my head, I think, you know. And the okay. thing that's, Here, here's yes. a question. Mm-hmm. Do you have a do you have a favorite at Marvel and DC? Do I have a favorite? Wait, yeah. Fa- what do you mean by uh, you mean do, do, do you have a do you have a publisher that you automatically gravitate towards out of those two? Oh yeah, um, that's actually a really good question. I was I was born and bred a Marvel zombie. Uh, if you were to look back at my childhood collection, uh, it it is vastly more Marvel. And in fact, that that when I used to work at Comics Experience behind the counter on Fridays, Hibbs and I would be a pretty good counterbalance because if somebody came in and had questions about a Marvel comic that was pre-1982, uh, I could pretty much answer it, you know, uh, w- without, without much problem at all. Um, those days, sadly, my, my brain is atrophied to the point where I don't think I could do it quite as well as like being able to tell people who the penciler and inkers were on certain issues. But so clearly, clearly a Marvel guy, maybe that's why I'm more disappointed with them. I still, uh, with the exception of maybe with, of Batman at at DC, I would say I'm much more emotionally invested in Marvel characters as a general rule. What's weird to me is that I find myself maybe over the last five, four or five years, I would say the stuff that I tend to read tends to skew a little bit more towards DC. Uh, I think I just walked away from a lot of the Marvel stuff because... For a good chunk of time, they were doing stuff that I didn't agree with. Um, when I when I walked away from them in the early '90s and came back to you know spent all my time reading alternative and indie comics, I, I felt like I kept my eye on the ball more because DC had done stuff and it opened up Vertigo. That was kind of what kept me sort of closer to the DC fold, I think. So mm-hmm. I I have a strong appreciation for what DC does. There's so many things that they, of course, do wrong and screwy, but I would say that I'm, at heart, I'm a Marvel guy. And you're pretty much a DC guy, right? For yeah. The most part. I, but, which always surprises me, because the majority of things I read as a kid were Marvel. Mm. I mean, I can... I, I always want to say, like, I can remember my first DC comic, which is actually a lie, because I know I was reading occasional DC comics before this, but I remember reading the first issue of Legends, the, mm. the John Byrne, John Ostrander, Len Lean series. Yeah. Um, and it being, like, the first time I was like, huh, DC comics, huh? And <laughs> pretty much that comic is responsible for me being such a DC fan. Interesting. Wow. Um, and I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> Well, at I, all. I mean, I think it was the right time yeah. to become a DC fan because mm-hmm. you've got Burton and Superman starting around the same time. Mm-hmm. You had Batman Year One around the same time. Right. Uh, Justice League spun out of Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on. Cause it was, and it was, Suicide Squad, it was, too. It was, it was, yeah, it was post-crisis. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was at the... I arrived in the lobby at the right time for all the, like, the ground-level starts of all these series. Yeah. Um, but before that, like I was a Marvel guy, mm-hmm. and to me, 
uh, early to mid '80s Marvel still has a, a ridiculous nostalgia charm mm-hmm. that that nothing else has. Right. Um, I mean, I, you've heard me before espouse the value of Secret Wars too, which is a truly wretched, wretched comic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you know that sort of stuff. I, I still think. For many reasons, the Jim Shooter era of Marvel, he might have been a complete dick with terrible, terrible management skills. But mm-hmm. the comics that were produced while he was there are stunningly good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, these days, it's... I almost always, no matter what stupid news story comes out of DC, mm-hmm. uh, have sympathy, if not empathy, for them. Yeah. And with Marvel, almost the opposite. Right, exactly. Like Mar- Marvel has a, you know, we've announced we're giving away puppies to orphans. And I would have a gut level reaction of, I wonder what's in it for them. <laughs> totally, totally. I'm I'm absolutely the same way. And, and I think that that's, uh, I think maybe that's part of the reason. Because I was such a devoted Marvel guy. It's like if you go back to your hometown and you see like your very best friend that you used to play with in like second grade. And he's basically dealing cocaine in a school lot somewhere. You know, it's just, it's that much more painful to hang around him, I think. Uh, whereas DC, who was pretty much like, I don't know, the boring, bland friend that used to play with your older brother or something like that. Like, you kind of realize, like, he's hanging out in sort of the same record stores I am. And, you know, he never really impressed you much, but he's kind of basically an all right guy and, you know, did not try and like, you know, steal all the money out of your wallet yeah, the last time you went drinking with him. It's know? almost like, you know, DC, you feel, aren't really that bad. They're not really malicious. They, they try their best. <laughs> right, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they might not do good. Right, or exactly. Like they're trying. Yeah, it's not their fault they have no charisma. You know, it's, it's yeah, really... exactly this terrible thing. Where it's like this weird. It's like the, the comic book fan equivalent of like a, a pity bug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly that depressing, but you know, DC really? does not come really? off as good. Really? No, why not? Sure. I... Why not? I mean, I'm the one who referred to Marvel as selling cocaine in a schoolyard, so I mean, you know, I should grant you your hyperbole, because you were kind enough to grant mine. But yeah, no, as horrifying a a metaphor as that is, let's let's run with it. Exactly. Uh, Let's face it, a pretty horrifying metaphor. (laughs) You know, I have to say, Graham, you are a wonderful individual, but you've totally done it to us again. We've barely scratched the surface, and we've been talking for... Oh, God, an hour. <laughs> 51 minutes. It's the same thing. It was like when you were like, let's rip through these questions. And we spent 30 minutes on Spider-Man Threat or Menace. <laughs> it's a difficult question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham. Uh, so do you want to, let's, let's cover your news story and then we'll come back and maybe talk about our, our, our favorite books of the year. Okay. Well, my news story is, uh, I, I have two. Yes. Uh, I think the slow transformation of DC is one of them. Right. Uh, because I think the DC at the end of 2010 is significantly different from the DC at the start. 
Uh, and I think it almost all happened under the radar. And I think that part of that is also that no one really knows what it, what the new DC is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not sure it's actually a new story as much as a future new story. It's like a warning of something to come. Well, you've got a pretty good angle on this. So what do you think the new DC isn't as a result of these changes? Uh, I, I think it's not the old DC. I think it is going to be more... Um, I don't want to say more craven, but I think that it's going to be less willing to support critically acclaimed yet poor selling things. Um, I think it's going to be much less indulgent of creative whim. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I think Wildstorm closing is pretty much that. I think Wildstorm closing is is a signal that we're not even putting up with Jim Lee's pet project anymore. Right. Um. And apparently, if, if the rumours are true, the um, the reprint department is going to be A, lessened, and B, going to change what its, what its focus is, which which kind of scares me, because I don't want it to become like Marvel's reprint department. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am still wondering whether it means that DC, the new DC has become more like Marvel, which I don't think it is, and I don't think it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it's definitely a concern because Marvel has been very successful. And I think at heart, especially over the last eight years or so, I think DC has really wanted to be Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and and I, I think that more than it has ever done before in its history, and I think actually the removal of Paul Levitz means that there are less people there who, are, who don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. If, that's the case, if you understand what I mean. Yes. Um, I think Levitz before wanted DC to be DC, and whether or not you agreed with what his image of what DC was, mm-hmm. I think or he, how he how, how he, he got, got there. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, he, he was definitely there, and he was definitely standing up for DC being his own thing. And I don't think anyone is really there doing that anymore. Right. Um, but I'm not. I I still don't know what new DC is. Right. Um, and I'd love. I'd love to find out. I I'd, I really hope it's going to be something good. Mm-hmm. But I, I I fear. I fear that it's going to be more about synergy and more about franchises and right. more about lots of corporate things mm-hmm. and not creative concerns. Um, and I also worry that in the rush to make things successful, they're going to do more things like JMS and Superman and Wonder Woman, which just mm-hmm. blew up in their face. Right. Um, instead of actually sitting down and thinking what would be the best for the characters and what would be the best for the books. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm quite curious, because to me, I feel that it, it has a lot to do with how much they can reproduce the Jeff Johns effect, I think. You know, Jeff Johns is this guy who came, you know, out of Hollywood, uh, you know, through through Richard Donner, you know, started at the very bottom of the chain, worked himself up, and really has that kind of classic, to me, sort of a very classic screenwriter conception of, okay, this is, like, how do we sit down and make this character 
work. And even even to the extent of not even throwing out continuity, but how do we even make all that continuity seem to work? Like reading his uh, his little proposal notes at the end of uh, Flash Rebirth, uh, the the hardcover, which I checked out from the library. They had you know an excerpt from his uh, from his proposal, and I'm like, wow, that proposal is both sort of like like kind of interesting and appalling and embarrassing and inspiring, you know? And I think that, I think that's a, a very difficult range and tone to get right. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there are people who, there are a lot of people who care a lot about the DC characters. Um, like for example, Mark Wade, who we were talking about just a ton, a few podcasts ago, but whether or not they can get someone who they feel has that same sense of uh, John's marketability, yeah, marketability. I think where where I feel that John's really has a, a um, he's he is going to do what DC wants in the sense of he is going to be like uh, he. he firmly believes that you can have your brutality, this changes everything, um, comics, and also your feel-good, this is, you know, a great legacy DC comic in the same thing. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, I, I think, actually, Morrison does a lot of that as, as well in his Batman comics, um, where the stuff that he... He pushes things to 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 some what seem like some really grotty extremes, but is in fact giving you like more far less of that than you actually think that you're getting. I suppose. Yeah, I, I, um, I think Morrison does it differently from John's, and also for different reasons. I think uh, Morrison is. I think for all the the declarations that John's is uh, a fan and is pushing things back to where he was when he read them. Mm-hmm. I think John's does it more cynically. That's probably the wrong word, because I don't think John's a really cynical writer. But I think he does it more with an eye to making what he sees as a more marketable and robust version of the character mm-hmm. than what Morrison does. I think Morrison is writing from a fanboy place. Mm-hmm. I think Morrison is, is trying to bring back his experience of reading these stories and these characters in a way that I don't think John's is. I think John's is trying to make the characters workable. Yeah, I think, see, and that's, that I think, I think they both have, like I said, I think they're both remarkably similar, and they come from, they may be coming from different places, but they're both sensible and pragmatic enough, because I think both of them would say, well, look, there's no, there's no inherent drama to a comic book if characters are, if things aren't at stake, you know? And how they make things at stake are two very different ways. And I, th- I think that Morrison's way of putting things at stake is having some sort of character that stands for sort of all-powerful corruption. Uh, and I think John's is more likely to show, you know, somebody ripping off an arm and having someone eat it, you know. And then... But th- but they're each going to ways of like okay this is a threat and this threat actually is threatening to things that we care about, mm-hmm. which is you know again it's just basic drama it's just the way that they both do it and ramp it up, uh, I-, I think are more similar to each other in a way, uh, 
and and maybe signs of where where I guess again DC is going. Um, I think it's just interesting to me because I feel that you know there are ways in which Morrison's just JLA run I think sort of swims in and out of that. If you if you see what I'm saying, where there are times where like his Rock of Ages arc has things where it is like absolute corruption, everything's at stake, the world is going to turn to shit right now, and then you get that page turn and and everything's saved. And he also has arcs where it seems like, you know, the great shitting on of the world is not what's at stake, and it's actually more of a traditional kind of superhero thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think in Morrison's case, that's because he's doing his, by now, traditional superheroes or modern myths the stakes are always higher and small, are always bigger and smaller than they seem. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not enough for Morrison for Batman to fight the Joker. Mm-hmm. It must have mythical resonance, but it also must have some human hook for you to buy into as well. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think John's approaches it that way. I think John's approaches it from a... The reader recognizes and gravitates towards Batman fighting the Joker. Therefore, how can I do this in a way that they will both find it familiar and yet be have something unexpected to keep them reading? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know... Um... I also think John's, to slightly get off topic, um, approaches things in a much more analytical way, mm-hmm. which normally works for him, but I think the first six issues of these Flash series... Mm-hmm. It's a rare case of when he's thought it through, knows what he wants, and can't get there. Yeah, that is true. I, I this this is the other thing is, is I think that John's for such a long time was working really, really ahead of the arc. I remember him talking about how far ahead he was on his Flash series and his other stuff. This is something I, I also suspect about Bendis as well. Is there came a point where that a very extensive backlog of material that they had that they'd worked so far ahead on ran out and they were doing things more in real time, frequently juggling other projects and things felt uh, didn't come together as satisfyingly. And I definitely felt the flash rebirth was one of those where it's like, I, I see his ambitions. I even see where he's, where he's, he's like, 60 to 70% of the way there, but he's not he's not all the way there in a way that you're sort of used to John's stuff kind of being, even if you're not necessarily happy with the results. Oh, but, but as, as I would agree that Rebirth does not really come together, but I was talking about the, the regular series. Oh, the regular series. I, yeah, I, 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 I think the opening arc of the regular series comes together in a way that is genuinely surprising to see from John's. Hmm. It, just, it just does not come together. Right. Um, and it's it's really surprising. I I don't want to say I expect more from him because that sounds like you know Jeff, you have disappointed me personally. But um, but it's so surprising the ways in which it does not come together. Right. Um, because he's clearly thought about it, and he's clearly like this is what a flesh story should be, mm-hmm. and it just mm-hmm. it it fails to work as a story mm-hmm. entirely. Um, and and I really. That that's like the opposite of what I expect from Johns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's definitely. Uh, um, 
And I'll be curious to see if we end up seeing more of that, because I get the sense that Brightest Day is kind of, has a, at least from your descriptions of it, had kind of half a hook, and it's something that's sort of like growing and changing as it goes along, but but kind of in a way that really makes you, you know, mm, what is the term I, that I'm looking I, for here? I keep switching with Brightest Day. Mm-hmm. Um I keep going, oh, no, I'm out. And then it would do something that would just be like, I did, you know, uh, huh? And, and become, uh, the most recent thing is the most recent issue is, um, I think it's called Whatever Happened to the Manhunter from Mars. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, I'm fairly sure, Peter Tomasi, doing a riff on Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's great mm-hmm. um, But within the framework of, like, it's all a fantasy constructed by... Um, by John Jones's new arch enemy, who I swear to God is called Decay, as in D apostrophe K A Y. But it's it's like you know the future of like John Jones' imaginary future, mm-hmm. um, and it's really cute from like a Silver Age point of view. Like mm-hmm. Mars is alive again, and he's become a Green Lantern, uh, and you know he's brought peace to the, to the galaxy and so everyone's hanging out and having fun and then someone starts murdering the Justice League and he has to investigate. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's a cute idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of like, ah, damn it, I'd kind of written you off series and this is all right. <laughs> like that, the idea, the discovery that, you know, it's all heading towards something called Aqua War is like, really? Really? <laughs> Aqua War? And the fact that Aquor has its own logo as well. It's just like a no. Uh, but um but Brightest Day is one of those really weird things where I mean it clearly exists to launch all of these characters into a new series. Clearly. They're they're at this point, like I don't even think they're trying to hide it. Uh and I'm fairly sure that Johnson's actually said somewhere that he's doing the Aquaman series afterwards. Uh, but and and because of that, like it doesn't, it never really congeals as a series because it never really congeals as one story. And with the fifty-two, actually, have multiple stories, but at least they crisscrossed enough and had enough thematic resonance that mm-hmm. it works as a series. Brightest Day isn't doing that yet, right? Uh, I may not get there because we're past the halfway point in Brightest Day already. Um, in a way that something like uh, Generation Lost, the Justice League series, the other bi-weekly series that spin out of Brightest Day. It works as a series. Mm-hmm. This is one plot. It's one plot that's just going going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce Day is not really working, but is never bad enough to not be interesting. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh Well, and that may be that maybe that is the 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 face of the new DC for the first year or so. You know. Um, my fear about the new DC in the face of it is that it's just going to become caretaking instead of storytelling because they don't want to do anything with the characters that might interfere with other mediums development of them Huh? but don't you think that that, that, hmm. because for example I think that right now that's where Marvel is for all of, I feel like Marvel used to be more daring with their characters. Oh yeah, and I feel that so much now is becoming about caretaking. Mm-hmm. I I think I think Marvel is in caretaker mode. I think DC is, you know, 
Jeff Johns is kind of like the world's best housekeeper. You know, he's pretty much running around cleaning up a whole bunch exactly. of messes but then, and tidying but things then up. Once they've done that, I think they're just going to go into caretaker mode as well. well I, I think Brightest Day is let's fix the core Justice League. Because Brightest Day, to all intents purposes, is a Justice League series. Mm-hmm, you've got Aquaman, mm-hmm. you've got Firestorm, right. you've got Hawkman. You know, it, it's right. it's Justice League. Um, right. And I think I think it's it's quote unquote fixing those characters. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I agree. But the thing that I do appreciate about Johns is even something as dopey as Aquawar sounds, uh, or you know his his whole like uh you know he does he does think about like it's not just about putting it in order. He does think about how to move it forward. Now the way that he moves it forward maybe is a little airless and corporate and synergistic but I feel and, and who knows when Flashpoint really comes out I think that's going to be a real test of, of what's going on there but um, you know certainly Blackest Night is his extension of he stepped in on Green Lantern and it was if you if you believe what he says and I don't see much reason to doubt him in the process of, of trying to clean up all the Green Lantern stuff with Hal Jordan he ended up coming with up with this idea for you know putting together all the rings and for Blackest Night, and it, uh, it you know it was it was a big change to the mythology. In, I think for the better. I mean, whether or not Green Lantern's actually going to to be DC's next new multi-movie platform media franchise, you have to give them credit for you know the house is in order. You know what I mean? Yeah, Those yeah. things are swept up like. Green Lantern, you know, secret origin or whatever is in place for people to step in and pick that thing, pick that up. Sure, and get... but, but here's the thing. DC has never had a problem, with the exception of Hawkman. DC has never really had a problem with origins. Do you know what I mean? DC does origins for characters all the time. Secret or- they no, they secret... do origins for the same That's characters what I mean. all the secret time. Origin That's the problem. Yeah. is what? Replacing Emerald Dawn, which is not even yep. 20 years old. Agreed. Superman Secret Origin is replacing Man of Steel, which is not even 20 years old. Uh, is replacing Superman Birthright, Birthright which is that, even less which, which is less than 10 years old. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much of this... Yes, he's fixing a lot of things, mm-hmm. but he's also fixing a lot of things that don't need to be fixed. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Green Lantern did need to be fixed. I think Superman I, I, did I, I not think, need to be fixed. No, see, I think Green Lantern, the current status quo needed to be fixed. I don't think you need to go back and tell the origin again. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Frankly, I, I think that I, I would have to disagree with you on that. Now, keep in mind, I was not, I don't really feel that Hal Jordan needed to be brought back as Green Lantern, but I think that once you did bring him back, I was not I was not really down with Secret Origin and I thought that it slowed down the momentum that Johns had built up on the series after the end of uh, the Sinestro Corps War yeah. but uh but by the same token as things are shaping up I can see the sense of it. I don't necess- again in the very sort of unlikable corporate synergistic way, you know. I'm not necessarily saying that it's great there's a lot of stuff I don't think that I don't think Batman Earth One needs to be in place, and I think that Johns just wants his hands on it because it's it's you know it that's where the temptation starts to kick in the whole uh, 
what is that? Is that the orange lantern <laughs> temptation to kick in of like, I want it all and I'm going to fix yeah, it all and it's that, all going to be mine. That is the orange lantern. Well done. Sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I think that, I think that he has, uh, it, it's a terrible temptation and I can see him succumbing to it. I mean, it's stupid that Hawkman's origin has to get fixed again after, in theory, John's fixed it the first time, you know, and then once he left the book, like, they managed to get it fucked up several exactly, different ways. Exactly, Jim Starlin stepped in and fucked uh-huh. it up, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really silly. We'll see how much longer that continues to go. I mean, DC, DC could end up being even more of a, a microcosm of Warner Brothers uh, than it was before. Oh, it, it, and, I do not think that's that's a given. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't think it's a given? No, I, I think that I think that is a given. I, I yeah, think, I think so. I think no matter what happens to DC in terms of what they publish, right? I think DC is unquestionably a Warner Brothers company now in a way that it wasn't really under Levitz. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not crediting that to Levitz as much as just like that was the era. Yeah, no, and I I think that I think that one of the things that if if I understand correctly, uh, DC under Levitz had all these various separate different editorial teams and departments that competed against one inch uh, against one another, um, which is very similar to it sounds like the way that Warner Brothers in Hollywood rolls. Um, I think my theory is is that Warner Brothers in Hollywood those departments actively, actively would fuck each other in the butt, you know, just to keep the other one from getting what it wanted, and I cannot imagine that playing at all in DC, but maybe it will. Maybe we'll get to a period where it's like, if Johns and DiDio, you know, fall out, you know, DiDio will be rewriting the origins that, that you know, Johns is putting in place, you know. God, that would be so depressing. <laughs> it, it would be, and it probably won't, it probably won't happen, but, you know, you I can't necessarily say that it, it wouldn't, I suppose. So, uh, okay, well, guess what? We are talking for hours and hours. Exactly. And hours. Okay, let's call this one done. Okay. Good luck editing it. And, uh, <laughs> and then come back for, because you, you're having lunch in like an hour, right? Uh, yeah, I gotta, I've absolutely got to be done with this in uh, less than an hour. Okay, so let's come back for a really short one where we talk about, like, our three favorite comics of the year. Yes. How can that not be anything but short? (laughs) 